0: Me mate ururua, mate Die like an
1: octopus or like a hammerhead shark.
0: Enga iwi o te Motsu te ne te mihiki katoa. no mai kiti nei hotaka a te ahi kā, koe Justin Murray aho. Koe mārae rākau aho no mai hoki mai a noa i mārae
1: rākau, and you're with te ahi kā, the Kai Papa Māori programme on Radio New Zealand
0: National. And one of our most favourite events is Nā Tonga Toi a te Waka Toi, the annual Māori Arts Awards by Te Waka Toi, They're the Māori Board of Creative New Zealand, New Zealand's sole public funding agency for the arts. There are different categories,
1: but every year five or so kaumātua are recognised for the work they do within their communities with a Tā Kingi Ihaka Award. Last week you heard from lovely Poto couple Widumu and Jossie Carr, whom alongside three others shared the award that
0: commemorates Sir Kingi Ihaka. This week we have the bubbly Wairukuruku Maire. She was one of the recipients of the Tā Kingi Ihaka Award. Now I reckon she was destined to lead a pretty full-on life and in her 90s she's probably got more energy than I do. She's got more energy than all of us. How's this for a way to start your life and for it to be commemorated in your name? So when she came
2: to help one time they had to go down the river for uh, for a bathroom and so they went to the river for a shower and it was while they were showering in the river that you were born. Not on the bank, in the middle of the river, <laughs> and so um, uh, her, her friends that were with her helped her with her with her baby to the bank, and that's where I got my name Tata from. But about five days later, my mature King Mahuta heard about the incident, and um, after he was annoyed at his, 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 his at his court, you know for being stupid, you know. Let the baby mother drowned, he asked to see me, so they tell me. And it was he that gave me that name,
0: Wai Rukuruku. Wai Rukuruku maire, coming up later on in Te Ahika. And ever wondered what the meanings of different Māori place names are? I'm
1: sure you have, well stay tuned, in a minute you're going to hear from a fella from the Wairarapa
0: whose interest in his local history is admirable. He makes you think twice about shortening, abbreviating and mispronouncing Māori place names. Nihā, Fanganui, Kote Eels
1: are fish, not snakes. They are not evil, legless dragons or
0: necessarily tanifa either. That quote is taken from a publication... Tuna ku farufaru, the longfin eel, written by Joe Potangarua earlier this year, where he describes in some detail the life cycle and habitat of tuna ku farufaru, or longfin eels, and the local historical significance they have within the Wararapa area, which we learned is significant. To know pretty amazing and over the years I've come to realise just how much actually
1: when I was in Little River Wairua just out of Christchurch, locals told me how when Lake Ellesmere would flood they would literally walk back to the lake by bringing their tails up to meet their heads like they're standing and kind of crawl along that way and even at Taumutu just down the road they would jump across the bar into the sea to migrate to the islands to spawn. Jump
0: awesome, that is pretty awesome, so let's get back to the book. Putanga wrote with the purpose of encouraging us to take a second look at tuna because over the years, man has been the main culprit in the decline of tuna ku faru faru longfin eel populations.
1: Now, it's not what you think. It's not the deep-sea dredging other species of fish have been subjected to, but more the altering of waterways, draining of water, poisoning of the rivers that
0: frankly illustrates our carelessness. Joe portangaroa is the local tuna expert as well as something of a historian. We hooked up with him at his home in Ike Tahuna, and he reminded us over a cup of tea why the general public should care about protecting this resource.
3: I'm um, uh, Joseph portangaroa and my mother is English, and my father is Maori, and uh, he comes from New Haka up uh, way and he's he's Honunu in Tuhoi, and I was born down here in Masterton, and brought up by my maternal grandmother and adopted grandfather, come father, uh, uh, Morris, which is where I get the surname Portangerua. And his dad was uh, Ngāti Kahununu Kiwai Rarapa, and his mum was uh, of Rangitāne O Wararapa.
1: So, as so Joe Putangarua, you've, you've lived in the Wararapa area for all of your life?
3: Basically, yeah.
1: And during which time you've become somewhat of a historian?
3: Um, yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Just uh, i had an interest in history.
1: Yeah. So what led to your interest in tuna, or eels?
3: Oh, I guess like um, a lot of other kids, Kiwis, New Zealanders, whatever, that um, I used to go out and catch them. And then uh, about five years ago, we went up to Pukaha, Mount Bruce, um, on a school trip with our daughter Bailey. And during that trip, the education officer out there Pulled out a uh, a stuffed eel, and started talking about them. How big was it? Oh, about oh, just over a meter long. And when she started talking about their life cycle, it made me maybe think differently about them. And uh, after that time, I started uh, studying them, reading things about them, observing them in the water and decided that uh, they were very interesting and that there was a problem that because their population was declining. So,
1: so what? I mean, we're talking about a particular breed of eel, though, aren't we, of tuna?
3: Yes, yes. And what are they called? Uh, the New Zealand longfin eel. or so, tuna. tuna. Tu wharu wharu. So.
1: And what is their life cycle?
3: Oh, uh, basically they... Um, they breed once and they and they die, and they don't mature and or sexually mature until they're at least thirty-four years of age, and maybe some be, might
1: say a lot of people don't uh, do that, Joe. Or maybe a bit <laughs>
3: older. <laughs> and they they may not um, go to breed until they're a hundred years old or so. So if we take them out of the water and they don't get a chance to breed. Then uh, we're restricting the chances of of survival as a species.
1: So we're we talking about females and males don't breed until they're a hundred years old. Uh, the
3: male well, the the males are smaller than the females, and they and uh, the males mature a bit earlier, maybe in their twenties.
1: The males mature in their twenties, and the females mature in their mid thirties. Yeah. So what you're saying is. If people are eating them before they've had a chance to live until one hundred,
3: then um, well, they what what happens is that they spend the first part of their life in salt water. It's believed that they breed off the uh, somewhere off the coast of Tonga, and then they float back on currents towards New Zealand. Mm. And of course, along the way, there is a lot of hazards, so that some of the uh, the the little eels are albas. Um, um, oh there's scientific names yeah yeah. they're called they start off with, as eggs they turn into a little leaf like thing called a leptocephalus and by the time that they reach the um, coast of New Zealand they're called glacials little cesary ones um, when they enter into the estuaries and so forth um, after a, a few weeks then they uh, get some pigmentation in their skin and that's when they become Elvis then the uh, the long funds will make their way inland and find uh, somewhere nice to live, hopefully, um, until they're ready to breed again, so to head out to sea. But there's lots of hazards in the way. Um, although they're good climbers, they can't get up, um, I don't know, big, you know, sometimes concrete barriers, things like that. They do that through sucking. Oh, they could maybe use... Um, roots off a tree on a dam or sometimes people might put rope and things in so that they can uh, wiggle their way up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and they do that by
1: using their um, their lips to suck and then move their bodies. Uh, they put their suckers on, then move
3: up like that. They're very... Um, agile? I guess uh, it, it will supple. Yeah. And even small, probably you could say quite strong, uh, they can move their way up things.
1: You know, I find but, it astonishing that they're able to use their uh, their lips or their mouths to suck onto something and then pull their bodies up.
3: Yeah, I mean, it, it, it is fascinating, but then there's some barriers that are just too big for them. So if they can't get inland and find somewhere to live, then they're stranded.
1: And another um, thing I do find astonishing about eels is that they they migrate a long way and they return to where they come from.
3: Yeah, they return to New Zealand. They're not mm. necessarily to the same rivers that the um, the parent eels have come from. Uh, and I guess one thing is that the female longfins like to come further inland, um... The boys seem to like the coastal areas a bit better, but of course, again, just making their way from the um, the coast to uh, a valley like the Wadarapi here is is quite a distance in itself. So, yeah. So once they've uh, if they do manage to do that, then they've got to, uh, well, when they really get back down to the sea, yeah, and in between. Um, there's been a, a lot of things that have affected them, like habitat loss um, the last 30, 40-odd years, really intense commercial fishing, and so on.
1: So what we're talking about is men. Men's had an impact on tuna.
3: Yeah, majorly, yeah. In the wairarapa here, it the ills were an economic staple in, um, in pre-European times. Not only used for for food, but also for trade, um, for uh, gifting to other peoples, and so on. Um, and then right up until the nineteen fifties, when I had a chance to talk to quite a number of kaimatua who talk about the um, the the big migrations in autumn and how they used to be out and about and catching quite quite a few eels. But the numbers were uh, were never declining to an extent where the eels were in trouble but then loss of habitat, um, poisons, things, cows in streams, and that that really heavy fishing has meant that now that they're um, in what's called gradual decline or they're they're at a point where they're um, as endangered as great spotted kiwi and other species.
1: So by commercial fishing, are you talking about when they're out in the sea?
3: No, um, inland streams, lakes and so forth.
1: Are there trawling of inland streams here in the Wadarapa?
3: Uh yeah, yes, there are. But then talking to lots of uh, of farmers and so forth that where they used to let the commercial uh, fishermen onto their properties, they just noticed that the the uh, after the commercial guys had been through, that there were of course not as many eels, and their numbers went building up again. So now a lot of people. Uh, don't really let anyone on, and they uh, go out and feed the eels, or, or keep an eye on them, the few that remain.
1: So obviously what this means is that there's a market for tuna.
3: Yeah, uh, still in places like Europe, and the main reason for that is that the the a lot of the European species are on the brink of extinction, so... So why not come over here and make the New Zealand ones extinct? So, you know, yeah, go and find a, a supply somewhere else and, yeah, pay good money for it.
1: Now, if you could just go back and re-explain the thing about 100 years, how they live to 100 years.
3: If you find, um, like, a a big dark hill in a stream and, and it's over a, a metre long and it's probably got a big bulgy head, it's probably a female longfin. And... They can or they've been known to grow up to about two metres long and possibly these early records where they're up to 50 kgs in weight which is, is this big fish. Um, but some have been caught and um, once they're dead you can extract a, a, a bone out of their ear which is called an otolith and you count the rings on it like the rings of a tree and in that way you can tell their age. Can even tell whether they've had a good year if the rings are close or whether they've had a uh, not so good year. They'll what do you mean a... by good year? Oh, you know, if there's plenty of good conditions, Thai. yeah, good mm. food, yeah, that th- things have been good for them um, just by looking at these rings on this, this tiny bone. And so the oldest one yet um, aged was 106. And um, I believe there's quite a few found to be 80 years plus. But there you don't generally you don't find the big the big girls like like you you're used to
1: are there traditional stories around Tina because I'm guessing that um there would have been a story of a tanifa.
3: yeah, um. There's some, there's some variations about a, a um, semi-mythical creature called Tūnaroa who was, um, if you go to different places, it's, it's slightly different and how he was uh, harassing a lady in a, in a lagoon or a stream and she complained to her people and they came back and uh, created the first Hinaki, caught this uh, Tūnaroa and uh, proceeded to chop him up so, from him came the the eel species of the the sea. Part of his body went to the sea, and part of it came inland. And so that's how we get our um. Our short our long finiels, our short eels, the two main species inland, and our two the blind eels, uh, piharo, lamprey, and so on. Through this, uh, locally we've we've got a number of stories. Uh, we've got taniha. Who are in you know, who are kaitiaki, and then other ones that are uh, used as warnings on dangerous pieces of water so tell us the stories well just uh, just east of where we are right now is a place called double bridges, and we we can't quite see it from here, but our uh our ancestral mountain is Rangi Tumo, and our river is the Ruamahanga, and the Ruamahanga is about two paddocks to the east of where we are, and it flows. And
1: we are currently how many k's away from Ikitauna?
3: Uh We're about 30 south of Ikitauna and 9 or 10 north of Masterton. And um, just, again, the uh, we can see a hill from where we're sitting, and it's called Te Rohonga, and at the foot of Te Rohonga, the the Rumahanga sort of goes south and then slightly east and then south again and there's a uh, limestone bluff at the bottom of the limestone bluff where the, the rumahanga flows are two little caves and the story of our people is that uh, when when the people used to live up on Te Ruhanga, the kids would come down to the river to, to bathe or have a swim and they would always have to have... Uh, Comatua with them. Uh that's because in these two caves at the bottom of the bluff there were uh two eels or blind eels. And one of them was the embodiment of a, a chief who'd been a bit of a bad guy. And he was said to be evil. Yeah. Uh, so the purpose of the comatua the were to um say karakia to keep this this bad eel away from the kids. Um uh, um, but if you if you sort of look at the story more closely, and you look at the geography of the area, then you'll see that where the river flows into the bluff, it's really dangerous. And I actually, know of people um, in the last year or two have almost been drowned. So it's it's a popular swimming spot, but especially when the water's a bit higher, it's um, people can get swept underneath the stones, and you could just imagine little kids getting washed in there and not being able to come out again. yeah. So I guess that sometimes um, whilst our old people would say that the far went when people started mucking around with the hill, that they're still there. Mm. And that's yeah, one of those health and safety stories of the, um, the old people.
1: Mm, that's cool. <laughs> that was cool, Joe. That's a cool story. I oh, want to know the rest of them now. <laughs> Are you up for telling them?
3: There's another story um, from the Gladstone area, which is to the east of the town of Carterton, about a young woman who was um, who was, was pregnant and she went down to a, a local river and went into labour. Uh, when she had the baby, it um, came out and it was very badly deformed, and so she uh, threw it into the river where it drowned. And she went back to her village, Um, and the people, of course, asked, you've you've had your baby, where is it? And she said that um, Patipaerehi had come down the ferries, had come and stolen it. And so they kind of accepted that. And some time later, a group of men were down eeling at that same part of the stream. And when they they pulled in their hinaki, they found this eel with the face of a, a man. So the uh, they they took it back to the village, and uh, the woman was sprung, and she got kicked out. <laughs>
1: consequences. Yes. Often those stories are about consequences of actions, eh?
3: Yes. It's, um. It's that, uh We've got a, a lake here, and it's called Hapua Korari, and it's up on the Tararua Mountains. Uh, there's actually one that's still on the eastern side of the mountains on our side. And there's another one that um, through that was on the western side. Um but it looks like through earthquakes it's uh, just a just a depression in the ground now. It's got no water in it. And it's Hapua Korari means the lake of the flat sticks, which came about because of uh it supposedly it had um Giant flex sticks and flex bushes, a mess of trees, rimu, so forth. Um, Hokio, which is our local name for the har eagle. And they are huge. Yeah. It's like d- when d- you giant. hear
1: accounts of them, they're giants.
3: Yeah, yeah. I suppose it's also Hokio, um, but also the name of the stream over in Horofanua. So it's another account of the giant bird being up here. Um, Kotoku Huya all these, all these wonderful birds that lived around this lake, and it was a a, a place where people sometimes try to find it, and it would um become shrouded in mist, and only uh, Tohunga used to be able to go up there to draw from the energies. It's right near the um, the headwaters of the Ruamahanga. Uh, this is on the the eastern side over here, um, but also. There was supposed to be uh, two-headed eels that swim around in this lake, which just added to its um, it's 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 magic and mysticism, Uh, and uh, it was also supposed to have a. um, People had extracted gold nuggets from there, and maybe diamonds, and local families had them up until the last couple of generations. You see, too, yeah, that they'd come from this, this lake, which we also call the pulse of the fish in relation to um Amawi. Maui Yeah, where our main mountain ranges, the Rimu and Tararua Ruahini, are the uh, part of the backbone of the fish. And sitting up on the Tararua is the Hapua Korari, which, yeah, this is why we. It was called the pulse, but sup- supposedly that when the um, sun shone upon it, it would uh, shine down into the valley here. Oh. (laughs) Beautiful. Yeah, but I've been up there and it's pretty hot. It's sort of hidden away behind the first couple of rows of hills and it's got a big silty bottom now, so... Yeah, who knows, maybe there is still some gold or diamonds up there.
1: Now, it always gets um, used as like a standard New Zealand joke, but I'd like to know how Iketahuna got its name.
3: Uh, the river that flows past Iketahuna is the Makakahi, so water of the freshwater mussels, and... Uh, where Ikitauina was, it was a clearing, and it was part of what we call Titapu Nui or Fatonga, was a great playground of Fatonga, which was in relation again to to Fatonga, captain of the Kura Waka and how he had, um, I suppose, going back a wee bit, he had gone fishing one day and caught a wonderful uh, basket of fish, and he went home to his his pa which was called Heratainga, so still the Māori name for Hawke's Bay, and given the fish to his wife, one of his wives, Hotu Waipara, who was a woman, of course of very high rank, and she reached in and uh, pulled out a fish and cut her finger on it. So it was a, one with a spiky back called a nohu, and uh, she got angry, so Fatonga decided that he might take some time out and um, go exploring while she calmed down. So he...
1: So what, two years later? <laughs> oh,
3: yeah, maybe a couple of years later or something. He, um, he wandered off and came down the east coast, down this way, and um, in doing so he uh, established a pa called Matirie, which is where Castle Point is now, around where the lighthouse is. Went down, kept going down, went around Wellington, came up the west coast and entered what we call uh, now the Manawatu River. Um. At a point he he uh, got out of his waka and climbed up a mountain, got over the other side and looked down and in front of him was this, this huge forest. And so that's why they called it uh, Te Tāpure or Fatonga. Whātonga. Um, and this was a, a place that used to stretch from just, just around about where we are now to the Takapo Plains up in Denivuk. Dan- uh, when the settlers got here, they called it the 70-mile bush. So um, one of the most, uh, what would you say, primordial forest that was seen um, in New Zealand at the time when the first European people were exploring. Um, people used to have to use lanterns in the middle of the day because the sunlight couldn't reach the ground. Mm. Trees were so big and it was so dense. And people who went from here got local guides to take them through, because um,
1: you get lost. Otherwise, it was so dense.
3: Yeah, so big, so dense. Chances were you might not come out again. Uh, so there were a number of clearings, fair bit of swamp, and amongst the all of the trees, and one of them was Ehi Tahuna. So as you're going up the the Makakahi River there came a point where you could no longer um pedal. And so you had to get out and walk. So Ekitahuna means to run aground on a sandbank. And it was because of, of this you couldn't go any further up the river. So you got out and walked up to the clearing where the village was.
1: So here we have a story of how a place got its name and it's Ekitahuna, so it's pretty specific to an event and then you have I mean it's a perfect example of how the Maori language has been assimilated into the English language so it's made it a nonsensical meaning when people call it iketahuna hey oh, eh, they call
3: it eka iketahua <laughs>
1: that's not even a that doesn't even make sense and yeah. I mean when you when you've just explained the story eke tahuna that makes perfect sense because it relates to an event Ikitahuna e- yes. doesn't.
3: No. Mm. And also when um the the people that were employed to to fell the the seventy mile bush or to Tapurunui or Fatonga were uh, were Scandinavian people and they they were brought out here in the eighteen seventies. They renamed the um Ikitahuna Melumskoff, which means heart of the forest, which is in translation, really nice, um, but it didn't take long. I don't think before it was um, given its proper name back, which is just the one that we have today.
1: And then they shipped, they shifted up to Denivir, anyway.
3: And they kept going on and, <laughs> yeah, clearing the bush up to Denivir.
1: <laughs> now, Joe, you're you're a young fella, so. This interest in history and the detail that you have of it is I'd say is pretty unique for someone someone your age. And by young I mean I mean by young I mean you're not komatsuwa um,
3: um I'm thirty nine in in a month's time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: And you've always had this interest in
3: history? Um my my dad Morris was was a kaumātua and I kind of didn't have much choice about being taken to meetings when I was young and he was a trustee on three marae he around here. He would have
1: been so spoilt by all the nannies.
3: Um, I was near him all the time, I was, uh, <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, he was involved in lots of things during the um, 70s and 80s when I was young, so, Yeah kind of got to sit in and listen to all the, the old people anyway and then he he died in 1991 which made me think well all of these old people are um, are going to pass away so it took a few years but by around 2000 um, uh, start, started um, not only reading but um, well you could say organising ways to to do oral histories yeah with that realisation that the old people were passing away and as an example we did a project on customary fisheries um, oh, about 10 years ago and we talked to about 130 people wide up upper wide and the last time that I looked back on the um on those that we were able to interview, about half of them had passed away. So that was in a ten year period. Yeah. So um kinda makes made me think again that how um, how important capturing those people's stories is. And um and also following it up with more more research. Yeah. Just just to add to to what we learn from what the old people were saying okay,
0: Justin Murray Tiahika. I'm back with um, Joe Port so Joe, your knowledge of tuna is um, p- well pretty extensive that you 've gone and written. you wrote a, a a book a booklet about tuna ku faru Faru the
3: long thin eel yeah, wanted to um, use it for educational purposes and also for advocacy, um, just having learned about the Oh, the way the numbers of eel have declined, especially in the upper, But when you look at it a bit further, then you see that it's uh, basically all around the country, and they're um, they're only found here. And a lot of other other eel species around the world are really close to um, extinction. So, it kind of seemed the worth worthwhile cause to go to bat for the old Tunaku Kufaru photo.
0: And so the book began as a, a draft, a, a personal project.
3: Yes, yep, yeah. just a personal project um, out of yeah, out of out of interest. Mm.
0: And then you mentioned that you had. Um, did you send it or let Doc know about what you had done?
3: Yeah, last year the uh, Greater Wellington Regional Council and Doc Communication guys were trying to do something on uh, on Longfin Eels. In the media every three months, and I sent them a draft of the booklet. Um, and then we all got together and decided we were going to get it to a printable version and publish it. <laughs> and that, that took a few months. Yeah.
0: So the booklet is called uh, The Longfin Eel Tuna Ku Faru uh, an educational resource, facts, threats, and how to help. How long did it take you to, to get this book together? Probably not very long with your expertise.
3: Um, oh well initially just drafting up something happened a few years ago. Um but then getting it to the stage where it's it's, it's the format's in now it was actually only a few months. So that's how long we gave ourselves to get it out there. And we're um Oh yeah, it was it was printed a couple of months ago. Um and we have distributed some copies. Um like already a lot of the schools uh that, that run environmental programs are utilising it, but it actually hasn't officially been launched. So that's happening soon. Well, yeah. But but it's it's sort of um already starting to serve its purpose, which is really great.
0: Tell me about the research um, that was involved in, in, in compiling the book. I mean, you talk about everything from breeding, uh, you know, to um, cultural aspects of tuna. Um, tell me about the research that went into it.
3: Well, there was a lot of, um, you know, finding already published material um, in libraries on the internet and um, connecting with some of the known um, experts in the on the subject, um, some of some of those were experts. Um, Don Jellyman, who works for Niwa, mm-hmm. and more lately Mike Joy, who's at Massey University. Just as examples, um, to well to see what they they thought and whether they had any contributions, um, which they did, and which of course were really great. Um, and then also people at Greater Wellington, um, my. My relation Jason Kuta, who's now the CEO at Rangitane, used to work at Greater Wellington, so Jason was able to tap into people there and um, get some more information about um, hazards to the eels, um, impediments to their migratory cycle, and ways that you, that we could help them. Mm. Yeah, um, and then also quite a lot of uh, standing on and in streams and things. To actually, observe the eels and their behaviour, uh, but a big part was um, getting out and about, or uh, drawing from um, previously recorded interviews with kaimatua
0: And you've got a you've got a you know reasonably sized whānau and you had to do this all in your spare time.
3: Um, this this year, but there's some other work that I do that um, that uh, you know have been paid for, um, that that has allowed me to go and do what. Things like this. Mm.
0: So, Joe, I was um, mentioning to you that what I really, really like about the book is um, the research. Um, involved in particular, you've got a little segment in the book called Kaomatua Talk, and it's basically a comment that you've pulled from your research and talking to the Kaomatua of the Wairarapa about tuna. So, I think what I might do is I'll read one and then you can just respond to it when and, and talk about it. Is that okay? Yes, yeah, sure. Okay, so in the book, um, this is from an interview with Sunny Temari uh, 2003. You know, the road below. Kohu nui Marai. well in the old days the eels used to be hung out on the fences to dry the eels used to go for a couple of miles on both sides of the road there would be thousands of them when you were going towards the Murai all you could see were the eels and all you could smell was the rotten corn a Māori delicacy cooking at the Murai. that's pretty cool eh
3: <laughs> yeah it is uh, and and I, I think it's a it's a privilege to have been able to talk to the the kāumātua, um to hear of their uh, their memories and and so on, and I so think that when um, talking to Uncle Sunny, it dawned upon those of us that were sitting with him that Lake Wairarapa, as it is today, is far far smaller than than what it used to be when he was a uh, a younger man or even a boy and so therefore what he's talking about is that the marae where it is now is up on a terrace and the lake used to uh, run basically at the bottom of, of that terrace when there was flooding. Um, now it's several kilometres away so that the, the access to the eels in those days was, uh, was a lot easier. Mm. and also that there were, yeah, again... Abundant. There were a, a lot around, mm. yeah.
0: So another comment in um, uh, your book, Joe, uh, the Kaumatua Research. I remember Uncle Jim put his hand in the hole to get this eel once. The damn thing bit his finger and stripped it to the bone. He pulled his arm back out, had a look, and then went back into the hole. He wasn't going to let the eel win. Now, that's an interview with Kenny Matthews in 2003. Yeah. Some funny stories,
3: yeah. Yeah, and um, man, are they all set ferocious? Uh not not generally. Yeah, they they're actually quite quite placid. There's been some um, sort of fairy tales growing up over the years about how aggressive they are towards humans, but really it's it's because they uh, don't have that greater sight, but they've got a really good sense of smell and senses. They've got a little radar thing happening. So if you wiggle something in front of them they're gonna <laughs> probably try and have a nibble. Right. Yeah. But the uh yeah, un- Uncle Kingy talking about that was a s a really good story.
0: And yeah. another um comment um just below the book, um You should see the eels up the Fungehu River. You know, they come up onto the bank and bark like a dog. Never seen anything else like it. We left those ones alone. And that was with our kaumatua James Riminet Senior in 2001.
3: There's quite a few stories. There's no people would have heard about the the eels with the horns and eels that hiss or bark and... I haven't come across one where the people haven't said, oh, no, we leave those ones alone. I guess it's a, a respect because pretty much they're the big girls again. So they... Yes. One, on the one hand, they say they're a bit spooky, and then on the others, oh, yeah, maybe it's respect for them.
0: So then, um, well, that's so that's um, just a bit of kōrero about uh, Joe's book. And... Um, once again, the book is called The Longfin Eel, Tuna Ku Faru Faru, um, by Joseph Potangarua. So, when you go to Hui here at Mara in the Wairarapa, is Tuna on the tables? Like, do people smoke the Tuna and have it for kai?
3: Uh, I haven't seen it for quite a while. No? No, you used to, um, definitely down at um, Kohunui, where, where Uncle Sunny comes from. I remember you, you used to see it. Yeah, and may, maybe they do on occasions, but um, yeah, don't 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 see it regularly.
0: Right.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And mm. um and it's one of those things where there's there actually aren't that many people that go out eeling anymore. And whilst we um, you know encourage people to think about the conservation of the eels. But also like them to be familiar with streams and how they work, and one way of doing that is to go out and um, go fishing. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, not only do we lose the the skills involved, like from our, our cultural point of view, but also people don't connect up with with the streams and the swamps and how how they work, and then they don't see how important they are either
1: koe, and
0: his gorgeous baba and fano. We've posted up some links, head to our webpage, radio nz.co.nz forward slash te Hey, and just before we move on, Justine, have you been eeling? Well, I, I haven't physically been involved with eeling marae, but I remember back in the day at the marae, I need some kai for the teipu for the tables, and I used to have a jack with my uncles, we'll go for a, a look with my uncles who used to lay the hinaki. So the hinaki is the...
1: It's like a trap. A eh? it's yep. kind of like a net, but not a net in a um, fishing kind of sense. It's more like a trap
0: that's used to lure the eels in, and it's a long. Yep, it's like a long cylinder. If you can imagine, um. A Biggish entrance into the, the the cylinder shape and then it it go it gets smaller as the eel goes in because it's easier to get in because they're going upstream or up the river, but it's hard to get out so well, it's hard to get... get out because the the um end
1: is little, yes, so they go in and then it wi- it widens, so there's lots of room for them within the net
0: within the hinaki, yeah. but they can't get out. But I've also heard stories, I, don't, I haven't seen this, but I remember my dad used to talk about how they used to wait for the tuna to jump out of the river and whack it on the head.
1: Wow. Whack <laughs> that it was on back the head. in the days back when it was quite the, abundant. Yeah. Yes. So I used to go ealing with my father and um, my brothers, and I always got the stink job, which was... Well, there were a couple of stink jobs actually. One was actually staying awake or getting up really early. <laughs> yeah. And the other was carrying the Pico bag with the squirming eels in it. Yeah. Oh. And I used to always have to carry the bag with the eels in it. And I tell you what, man, they would be like five metres away from my body on a big stick. <laughs> I could watch them, you know, and then of course, as a kid, you're fascinated by them when you, you get them. Throw them on the riverbank, have a big jack
0: until you have to kill it. Yeah, mm. which was the part that I was never really involved with. But then when they hit the tebu, oh, all okay. involved
1: in that part. <laughs> hey, eating the bones and everything. At this year's Natonga Toy Ate Wakatoi, there were five komatua from around the country who received Natonga Ata Kingi Ihaka. Last week, We and Jossi Ka spoke to me about what the role of a komatua is. Now if you missed that cordet or head to our webpage, radionz.co.nz
0: forward slash teahika. Click on our archives and you can hear it. This week, kāfetia tūtairo ki te rohe o Ngati Kahungunu, kairāra i puawai te koe nei a Wairu Kuru Maiere, engari i no mai a Wairu ki te rohe o Tainui. Ha, te ngā kōtē, te
2: kōtē mai nei ki te koe nei uh, me kite te kite te koko rite nei wa, kite nei we sa wa no te me uh, te nei. Tohu <laughs> <coughs> Gaidama to Kawana Tanga Kite Toro Torita King Tangane. Kite the king tanga atwahi and wanna taking Iwahi Itawa a Hebahi it was quite a rough a rough settlement where the early Maori king lived in Huntley. And so my auntie the Princess Depue she decided to build the beautiful marae that they've got now in Ngaruahia. Right, well, we have to go back to the times when Ngaruahia was first settled. It was full of scrub and uh, rough, and so they had to uh, clean the place up first before they could put the marae down. So I guess halfway through the proceedings, Pahaerumai Taku Mama, a... She was heavily pregnant, and she used to come to help. Hey, they told her to stay home because she's useless uh, to have around, you know. Mm. We all know that mother-to-be are uh, useless while they... And she was told to stay home. Was she... Yes, appealing? yes, 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 just about getting a baby. But the young mothers that they were at the time never listened. So when she came to help one time, they had to go down the river for a uh, for a bathroom. There was no showers then, you see it. And so they went to the river for a shower. And it was while they were showering in the river that you were born. Not on the bank, in the middle of the river. <laughs> it's obvious I wasn't meant to tell folks because I'm still here today. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, uh, her, her friends that were with her helped her with her with her baby to the bank etc, etc, and of course I had an auntie that was in the group and that's where I got my name Tata from, because when they saw it was a baby girl oh, hey, they all got in to to give the baby a a name and that's where I got the name Tata but about five days later, my mature King Mahuta heard about the incident and um, after he was annoyed at his, his his. at his court, you know, for being stupid, you know, doing that the baby might have drowned, he asked to see me, so they tell me. And it was he that gave me that name, Wai Rukuruku. Lovely name. I didn't like it for a start, but hey, when I thought about the incident, how appropriate it was. Yes. Yes. Which means? Which means, well, something to do with the water, diving around in the water, Wai Rukuruku, diving around. So it was very appropriate, wasn't it? Yes, very appropriate. Very appropriate. And so that's my name now. So everybody knows me every time they see me, Waidu Kuduku. Mm, That's how I got my name.
0: Mm. So then as a very young child, um, I read um, some of the information provided that you spent most of your life in the Hawke's Bay. Yes.
2: Yes. yes. I was born in Waikato. and about five months, uh, my mum moved to Hawke's Bay. And I was brought up, and I've been down in Hawke's Bay ever since, among Ngati Kahunenu. Ngati Kahuninu. So um, <clears throat> we lived in a place um, between Waipukurau, central Hawke's Bay, and Porangau. Mm. Oh. There was a small community there called One Step. Yeah. And, you know, in those days, uh, these were the uh, early... Um, Days, we call them um, what did they what they call those days huh? the depression, the depression years right that's it the depression years that's when that's I was growing up in um, in a place called in in um one state. and you know during those times these um, early farmers <coughs> they were rich because they were plowing the land oh yes, they had the land was you know, with being uh, brought under production, sheep and cattle, and things were all, you know, and they were, they were rich. And they all had their own sort of welfare cupboard. I called it a welfare cupboard. They had their own welfare cupboards, and my mum and dad used to go and do their shopping there. We didn't have to go to town. Welfare cupboards. Welfare cupboards. Well, they had food in the cupboard, you know. Right. Tins of meat and sugar, flour. You imagine you, you it. They've got it. So mum and dad didn't have to go to town to shop. Yeah. And that at that time, they, the shopping was, uh, uh, you know, you had to have a card for just so much sugar and so much, just a little bit each. But hey, my mum and dad, when they want sugar, we get them by the bags. <laughs> Bag of sugar, bag of flour. And so I grew up with um, not knowing what it was like to go without. You know, you know, you know what I mean?
0: And you would have had marakai?
2: Yes, oh yes, mum. mum. Yeah. And, and we we stayed in the the sheerest quarters of the farmer. And so um, mum had a little bit of a patch outside. And um, we get our meat from the farmer and our milk from the farmer. So what else do you need? So that's how I was brought up, um, not knowing what depression years was all about.
0: That was just something happening on the outside world. Yes, yes, exactly. Not necessarily something happening. On the
2: outside world, the whole world was, whole of New Zealand was under that depression sort of, yes. But I didn't know what it was like. (laughs) And uh, I guess uh, I was one of those children that was brought up that my mother never taught me much you know, I don't advise you all to do that. I, I advise mum and dads today to teach their children how to work. But my mum didn't teach me how to work. I didn't do anything. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't even make my bed. I didn't have to set the table or wash the dishes or anything. She did everything. That's terrible. Mm-hmm. I think mothers and fathers should teach their children to make their own beds and to do something to help around the place. mm, mm. So when I had my own children, they were taught to work. Campion. Yeah, I taught them to work. Come on, get up, make your own bed, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, I landed up, after being brought up like that, I landed up at Queen Vic. Went to Queen Vic at Auckland, the Maori school, the uh, Church of England Maori school for girls. And that's where I learned how to work. I didn't know how to work before I went to Queen Vic.
0: So your name, Wairukuruku, obviously you have an affinity to the water in your Look, growing up. Look, I might up. have
2: that name, but I don't have, know how to swim. <laughs> oh, nee! Yeah, karau yeah. the I'm frightened of the water. Oh, that's oh, terrible, nee. eh? I like baths because I can see the bottom. Ke haere ki you, never, you never know what's in the water. E rungau, it's a jet ski, ne. Eh? i I wanted to go up to from Salt Lake City uh, just before they start school in august um the families from the maoris these are the maoris yep. all the parkers, everybody they go to this man made lake which is in the middle of america oh. it's called um uh, Lake Powell. Oh. now this man Powell, was um engineer and he Way back, I suppose in the 40s or 30s, if he blocked the bottom of the, uh, the Colorado River, the, the water will flow up and fill all the canyons. And that's exactly what he what happened. And you know, when you come around the corner, it's just like you're coming around Lake Taupo. Oh,
0: only and it's
2: man-made. Uh, wow. Only that lake was man-made. So all these Māoris, we had six trucks all going on. our first one had a launch, and the second one, and all the passengers and we went there, and that's what they do. We made a camp, and they gave their mokopunas five days. You know, come on, have your, have your excitement before you go back to school. And that's one of the uh, exciting uh, machines that they had, was jet ski. Jet ski. And they, they would all line up, and they would have uh, ten minutes each on a jet ski. But then the next minute, they turned around and said to me, Nanny, Mary, would you like to get on a jet ski? And I said, no. Don't want to get on jet ski because you know you're gonna sit pretty wide eh? No, we don't want to see. just nice seeing you, you lot. No, get on, get on. Tohe to my neckima or queer and so to stop them from annoying us, well my mate got on and she said, Oh, I can't get on. So I got on to it. Managed to get on was uncomfortable. But anyway, I got on. Okay, well how do you drive this thing? Oh, what they told me. Oh, look, most wonderful experience. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Good oh, on I
2: you. I was at the critic in you know, the red lake, a red platter. They said, Go faster, Nanny, and I go fast. Oh, wonderful. Feel the hair going through you, the air going through, the wind going through your hair, you know, and you're out there. Oh, it was so wonderful. And hey, when it got to 10 minutes, and they start yelling, it Go, Nanny, Out our turn now. Okay. Well, you got me on here, so I, I stayed on for another ten minutes. Come Didn't my. want to get off. It's wonderful, Oh.
0: and uh, hey, at eighty, <laughs> you beat me fine. That's all I can say, you?
2: <laughs> but I love travelling. That's what I, That's uh, my forte in these last days. Mm. Is uh, travelling. But um, I tried to make myself useful in the community. Yeah, in the community, I'm still working. Thank you to Brenda. At uh, Tawerika, she's still uh, got this old deer uh, um, working for her. And then I also uh, work at the Hauora in uh, Hastings, and I enjoy that, working with the Māori Health Centre. And then about uh, six or seven hours a month, um, down at the prison. You know, uh, the prison is not far from where I live in Bridgepa. You know... You've you been to Bridge Power? I've been into, uh, is this in the central Hawkes Bay? This, Hastings.
0: Yeah, I don't think
2: I've been we're, there. We're six miles out of Hastings. Mm. I think it's it's a very popular little settlement. That's the It's a very popular settlement. You know, Bridge Power. Okay. And uh, when you get to Bridge Power, we've got two golf courses in Bridge Power. Golf courses we got an aer- aerodrome in Bridge Park, okay? And uh, we've got grapes growing by the 1,000 acres from Bridge Park to Marakakaho, on both sides of the road. Then we've got chicken farms where you can go get a tray of eggs for a dollar, a tray, whereas you've oh got to God. go to oh. down for $5. It's five bucks for a you, tray? You get all these chicken farms going in Bridge Park. We've got the most beautiful... Uh, um, Strawberry Patch. No trouble for us to go and get strawberries, etc. And then we've got um we've got boys and berry patches at the Bridge Bar. We go and get boys and berries and consequently we have boys and berry jam in our cupboards all the time. And then uh, what else have we got? we've we got a uh, we've got a beautiful new school just mm. built up. Everybody else's school is closing down in Hastings, Bridge Bar School. Built, a million dollars, just opened last term. Then we have, uh, you know, with all your um, activities, busy activities going on, if you want to relax and meditate, we have the most beautiful chapel in Park, right in the middle of our chapel, of our community, we have this chapel. The doors are open, you can go in any time and meditate.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Such a uh, yeah, energetic queer. Yep, yeah, yep.
2: Yeah. Uh, I had a hip operation uh, mm-hmm. last year. And that's what's slowing me down a little bit. But apart from that, the body might be a bit slow, but the intellect is pretty sharp. (laughs) Uh, When my children were growing up, uh, they got married and went on the, uh, you know, off my hands. Oh, no, yes, just before that. Uh, My first uh, enjoyment in life was playing tennis. Oh,
0: playing tennis. I was a bit of a tennis
2: star. (laughs) Uh, this Maori club in Hastings, we joined up with the Hastings Packet Club.
0: What year was this fire? What this period?
2: year was about nineteen fifty something. Oh, yep, nineteen fifty something, fifty four, I think it was. And uh, we had a competition, and the competition was uh, we were going to send to Wellington to the nationals um, a singles, a mixed doubles, and a doubles. That's what we were going to send to Wellington to, to compete for the um, New Zealand Nationals. Okay, well anyway, you won the singles. And we tried for the mixed doubles. My my mate let us down the last minute so we didn't have a mixed doubles, um. And uh, we didn't have a... We weren't successful in the um, doubles. Alright? We had mixed doubles, doubles and singles. So... I was to represent the single team, so I was up in arms, you know, so happy. But <coughs> when it came to the time to go, because we were sharing to contractors too at the time, my husband and I were big time sharing contractors, and I was ready to go to Wellington, and my husband said to me, uh, well, you know, knowing that uh, I was a wool class at the same time in the shed, you, you're not going because you know we're so busy. I said, oh, but I want to go. It's, you know, it's, you want to go. Yes, of course, you I do. I want to go. He said, well, you're not going. That's all about it. So, being a dutiful wife, I listened to him. So I missed that being a, um, a, a whether I could have made the national tennis, <laughs> at that um. time. but anyway, not long after that, we had a um, another exciting part of my life was. Um, uh, the golden shears. So anyway, we uh, when the time came, we did a lot of um, uh, work at the shows in Hastings. We have a show every year in October, and I was involved in the uh, uh, wool sh- wool part. And so we had a compet- competition in Hastings to send down um, three pairs to go to Wellington to compete for the international international te- team, so and my daughter and I, we won one lot. There were two lots of us that went down from
4: wow. Hastings
2: to Wellington. And that was an exciting time in my life. <clears throat> anyway, we got to um, uh, we, we, we got ready to go. We had a father that can't keep his excitement down. You know what I mean? You know, you get some men like that when Walkers, yes, they, they can't control the excitement. And at the football, you can hear them yelling at the, you know, you know what I mean? There's always men that's yelling out, hurry up, come on, yep. get them on. And when they don't get that try, you know, they get a bit abusive sometimes. <laughs> well, we knew our father was both like that, so we decided to go on our own. So we got ourselves ready. And uh, my daughter and I said, we're leaving Dad behind, we're not taking him, because he might get a bit like that on the sidelines when we're competing. And so we went. And he said, where are you two girls going? And we said, oh, we're going down to the thing." De- oh, yes, that's right. Oh, well, wait on. I'm just going to get my shoes. And my ch- <coughs> we took off. Well, <clears throat> make a long story short, we had a very exciting time down the Golden Shears. There was about 49 couples that came from worldwide to compete for that um, for that shield at the time, Golden Shears. Golden Shears. Yes, yeah. yeah. So Alice and I, we won that, and you know it was through uh, a lot of things that you do today is through strategy, eh? <laughs> even in in anything you do. You think it over first before you go and do it. Mm-hmm. You don't just charge into it and go. Well, looking from the top, we looked down at the, at the at the competitors. Well, we could see that the shares were going too fast for the competitors. Consequently, they would have two or three fleeces on the floor. Uh, uh, When the fleeces come off from the shearer, there's always fleeces on the floor, and the the competitors are going flat out to keep it under control. Okay. Well, while I was sitting up at the top there, I looked down for the final part. We got into the finals because you have two rounds. And I thought, now if we tell the shearers to slow down, one to slow down, we'll get through a bit better. And that's exactly what I did when I went down used this strategy. I said to the, one of the shearers, can you slow down for a little bit? Most of those shearers, they're going flat out themselves. And one fellow looked up at me and said to me, uh, oh, but, you know, I said, no, no, just slow down a little. And I didn't, didn't think he, you know, he wanted to keep up with his mate. But he, anyway, he slowed down, bless his heart. Mm. And by slowing down, we never had a wool on the floor. You know, we do one fleece and everything was tidy, and we're waiting for the next fleece to come off because both shearers were, their all fleeces were coming off not together. Right. Yes, and that's why we never had any fleece on the floor. Anyway, um, the closest to, to us was 19 minutes. We did ours in 14 minutes. Ooh. So that was an exciting time in my life. Very, very exciting. International,
0: not national. Justin Murray here, Radio New Zealand National. I'm talking to Wairukuruku um Maere, one of the recipients at the Te Tewakatui Awards tonight here in um, Wellington. Fire, if you could give any advice or quarter to the Hungarangatahi of today, what yeah. what the, the Rangatahi, the young people. Oh, what yeah. would you what, what would your quarter be to to mm.
2: them? Kei te uh, oh, <laughs> oh, you know, pie. that's
0: your focar
2: There's uh, so much, so much of our children out there that um, oh, oh, I'm not too sure what's the matter. But I think there's not enough aroha with the parents to their children. That's uh, that seems to be the problem. You know, if you if you had. A, if you had your children and you love your children, keep close to them all the time, they won't stray. But because um, they may be given too much time on their own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, he, he mahi, he mahi I, I work for the Waireka. Um, uh, uh, um At um, Otani, I work for the like addicted and all those young children. And I get quite close to quite a lot of them when when we get to have time to talk to one another. And a lot of them tell me what they do at home. And I tell you what, another thing that uh, is uh, fast-dying among our children is wairua. You know what I mean by wairua, don't you?
0: Wairua. Wairua. Teaching
2: our children about heavenly father. Nuh, datua Ne. Right. Uh, they, they don't know what, it's like, what, what I'm talking about, you know and I said don't your parents uh, teach you about prayers and things like that, no, no one or two of them know about the Bible but that's about all and you know I get aroha for them because that's very important to me, Yeah, very important to my mokos, right from the time they're born, they, they get you know, they get associated, I associate them with the Wairua. They've got to have the Wairua in the home, and it's all upon mum dads. Mm-hmm. They're the ones to bring that into the home. Oh, and well. I think um, I've experienced it in a lot, lot of uh, walks of my life. I feel that that's what's lacking among our Māori people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Kitata Wayua, he had the Taha Tangata, and I did Taha, taha, taha Wayua did Matua Tai Kapai Katona Hairo, mm. now Makatua.
0: Mm. Kia ora. Mm. Um, Fire, now we were talking, um, before about, um, you listen to the radio, Radio, uh, radio Kahunga Nune, and you, you did a little bit of a, a, a Wayata. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Could you, uh, <laughs> you know, me, me, Wayata, Terawayata?
2: Tomato <laughs> rangatira ko Joe Tedito. Eh. Ako, koe te rangatiro te Radio Kahununu, he re taunga. Engari, ke- kea rana kea, Joe e noho mai. <coughs> <Yeah>. <coughs> eh, I- I- oh ni? Ai. O nga rao mo, i te wā, i Taradale, te Radio Kahununu, i tīmata mai hoki i EIT, t- it's a radio in yeah. uh,
0: Hawkes Bay,
2: UIT. Aye, 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 yeah, so sure. Ai, aye. Aye. aye, aye. Yeah, it's a little bit of Hey, mm-hmm. hey, way uh, at the end of the day. It didn't I did the hill on a I mai could I have paid for the queer? the
0: meta
2: my I? Oh, I session? Karaka um, uh, Fridays, A takuchi mata tanata to ka to ketsu kiyari ha au me to utte wa yete ne na koida The wa na na chou kidizu itte Ah, aa pairu ratto ma here my now station pairu datto itte pakaron yamau e e e e wahi e katakata ne tamau mai ne itte na na mahir so so what's what sing
0: that sing
2: that song uh, fire that you
0: sang
3: when you
0: Aroha
2: mai get out. Repa, repa, te, oto, my, oto, ku, ye, ne, pi, kim, my, la, ha, eh, my, la, te, na, la, go, to, katoa, ete, pa, etau nei u, ne, te, na, katoa, eh, pa, e kera, me, me, ete, pa, tu, tak, yukele, ete, ta, ha, e, ma, di kare, t, no, Karatahi hei ukulele.
0: Kei tō atu ki tērā whaia, wairukuruku maire, he mihi tēna ki a, me, me, a to, me, me ki ko kia, kia ora ki tō koha Kia ora. Tō kōrero ki au. Kia ora.
2: Te tuputanga aku aku tamariki kei puihakena. Oh, nē. Kei Australia. Kei Australia. Kei Christmas Island tētahi kay hey you ta 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 it's you salt lake city in the home kiuta hey you uh what did you ta ta no paualua ne uh ka ka no hari i to alter um i've never left new zealand i've been home most of the time home was home you know and so, um, not get Get cut it I did it. Oh, I not get the money. Oh, Anybody a Did they Nobody can stop me now. I love traveling. <laughs> travel to Australia, travel to America. So, I hope to travel overseas. I've been overseas about six or seven times. Oh. I love America. I've oh. been all over America, all the states in America, about three. Oh, and that was I. on the east coast, Florida. I didn't get there, but I've been all over the
0: place, and I love it. Mm.
2: I've been to Australia, no trouble to travel to Australia.
0: <laughs> Faya, are you looking forward to tonight's awards? Oh, wow. Guess what? What?
2: I've been resting all day, oh. and I think I'm over resting.
0: Oh, I'm, I'm going to let you get back to <laughs> resting in a minute. But your whānau down here to Totoko, you need. i
2: tell telling my whānau here this morning, if this what famous people do,
0: well, they can have it. <laughs> it's exciting, but oh, Matakwana. Oh. oh. <laughs> Baya, um, wai ruru kuku mai te Thank you for your time.
2: No kiora koe. <laughs> <laughs> ra, haere ra, te ki mai na, ai te mai na katoa. E va iwi etai nei te nana katoa. Radio Kahununu, 98FM, nā kohikohinga kōrero mō Aotearoa. Tēnā
1: koutou kato. Kia ora e Wairukuruku maire nō Ngāti Pōporo Tainui Waka. For a longer version of Hukōrero with Justine, you can find that at our webpage, nz.co.nz forward slash te
0: And while there, you can hook into our Facebook page. We've got a link posted up. And... Join our weekly newsletter, find details are on the web page too. And Naida
1: tikaho Ho Te recorded at this year's Fakatouy Awards with this week's
4: Fakatoki. kote Fakatipu i te toi, kotere Fakapakari i te toi. No reira kātiki nā ju te korero a kiingi tafiao, me Fakatipu kui te huawo te ringa ringa, me Fakapakari ki te hua o te kawariki. nei o tēnei taonga e mai nei ko te mangopare tōna āhua. He tohu tērā ki a tātau te iwi Māori i roto i te whakatauki me mate ururoa kei mate wheke. Ko nei te āhua tanga mai anō i te wā I a tā apirana tanā inga kaupapa, whakaora, fakara inga mahi toi mauri.
0: Ko tai anō mātou ki te kapina a te ahikā. Before we end the show, we'd like to send out a mihi to all the whānau down there and te waipaunamu. Kia koutou te whānau o Ngautahu. Yes, all those Marae are
1: visited in Christchurch, Waerewa, Akurua, Taumatsu, and the Fano at Kleopoi, Te Marinuma, take care, and fano is a shake up near her. Get your emergency supplies, kits, and
0: plans ready. It's been my mission all the week. A kaupapa waiata, a big shout out to Maitreya, who won the APRA Maioha Award for his song Sin City, featuring Awanui reader of Nesian Mystic. you. Next week, I'm back with
1: the Waiata Māori Music Awards that was in Hastings on Friday. Yes, some other awards. And the Oniho Phyllis tells us about the tikana of the karana, or rather the travesty she sees going on now with karanga. It's pretty alarming. He
0: mihi tēnei ki ngā kai korero i tēnei wiki, ki ngā kai whakahaere mihi ni, ngā mihi.
1: Hoki mai hei tera rātapu mai te whanau te hikaa ki a tātou katoa. Mauri ora.